I'm Kate Daniels. Life, work, meetings, all in transformation over the last year and going forward. And having some guidelines to handle work and meetings in particular would be a great gift. And the woman to deliver that gift is Mamie Canfer-Stewart, CEO and founder of Meteor, a company focused on making meetings more productive. Mamie Canfer-Stewart, good morning and many thanks for being with us today. Thank you so much for having me today, Kate. Well, I think it's so timely because we're going to be talking about your book, Momentum, Creating Effective, Engaging, and Enjoyable Meetings, which, of course, many of us probably find ourselves involved in this almost more so now than maybe we did in the past. And what's interesting is the book did come out before the pandemic, but it's perhaps even more important and uh, more critical at this time. Have you had that experience? That is exactly the experience I've had. I mean, I've been working on helping people have effective meetings for a number of years, which is why I wrote the book to begin with. But the number of people who've been reaching out to me for help with their meetings has skyrocketed during the pandemic. And so it's perfect that there is this resource because who would have thought that now it's been a year and and there's this question mark going forward as to what this future is going to look like. Uh, Certainly it's not going to be like it was in the past and it's probably going to be kind of a combination. So having these virtual meetings is really going to be so much more a part of our life. Absolutely. And some people were doing virtual meetings long before, and now we just have much more exposure to them. And what has been really great, or you know, maybe frustrating for a lot of people, but great for me, is that virtual meetings take away some of the fun or the easy or the, the nice things about in-person meetings that allowed us to overlook that our meetings are really troubled from the start. Right. You don't get to be in person with people and get the little nice chit chatty stuff. There's no food that someone happens to bring because they had, a, you know, something was going on in the office. There's none of those nice things. You don't get to move our bodies and move from our desk and go into the conference room. Now we're just sitting in front of a screen all day. And that has just made us much less tolerant of things like meetings that shouldn't be meetings or meetings that kind of just wander all over the place and don't feel very productive. We are so much more attuned to the fact that we're spending all this time collaborating with our colleagues in these meetings, and yet it feels like a waste. Whereas before, we all knew that meetings sucked. I mean, everyone I talked to had a story about a terrible meeting they attended that day or that week, but nobody really wanted to do much about them because it didn't feel urgent. It didn't feel like it was a problem that needed to be solved given how busy we were. And now it just feels like I cannot sit through another Zoom meeting that's just like, oh, please help me. And so I'm hoping that as we move into this kind of next phase post-pandemic, where people get to have flexible work hours and they can kind of work from anywhere, that we take some of these good practices that we're starting to develop around how to have good virtual meetings, bring them into our in-person meetings, and start to find new ways when we have these kind of partial hybrid meetings, where some folks are sitting in the conference room in the office and some people are working from wherever they are. So... We want to get into some of the specifics, but I am so intrigued by your background, by your focus on life, by something I read about you on your website saying that I've spent most of my life trying to improve the world. That part, I think, is just fabulous uh, because I live in a constant state of gratefulness, beautiful, and 
constructive dissatisfaction. So interesting. So all of that is just so huge. And I think important for us to realize that passion and drive that you have, because you had this vision from a very young age of wanting to improve the world. And uh, certainly meetings being a big part of many people's worlds fits right in here. Yeah, it's you know, it's kind of a funny background that I have because I went to art school. I have a degree in ceramics and art history. Um, and that's not a typical path for someone who ends up in a, in a business setting. But part of the practice I learned as an art maker, as an artist, was to be able to look at your work and be really grateful and appreciative of what you created, right? To honor the thing that you made and at the same time to know that you could do better to look at that object and say, with a really critical eye, what isn't right about this piece so that I can make the next piece my masterpiece? And always looking that your masterpiece is in the future. You're never going to make this like perfect piece and it's all going to go downhill after that. And you're never going to quite catch it up. It was always this sense that everything you made deserved to be honored, right? You, you were a creator and everything you made deserved to be criticized in a way that was really productive. And that really like worked for me as a person. It doesn't work for every artist, doesn't work for every person, but those that state of being grateful and being critically dissatisfied really worked. And I took that with me out into all the other work that I do. And it's the same way that I look at meetings or businesses or relationships or anything else where you can say, there's something really precious here, let's honor it. And there are things that could be better. So let's not just let those things slide. Let's actually do something about it. And that is so important for us to hear and embrace, I feel, so that that constructive criticism is beneficial rather than feeling wounded or offended by wanting to make change, is to, to see it in this very creative and critical style. Completely. I mean, nobody wants to be criticized for the sake of being criticized. Right? <laughs> nobody wants to just feel bad. And it's actually one of the things I learned also as an artist was if you tell someone about their piece, I don't like it, that doesn't help them. That's just mean, right? Like, it's fine if you don't like it. But what you have to be able to do is articulate why. What is it about this piece that isn't connecting to you? Is it that, like, this color reminds you of dirt and, like, it just doesn't seem to make sense? given the piece is about the sky, right? Like, what is it? You got to get into the understanding of what's there that's not working so you can communicate something that is useful to their person so that they can decide for themselves, do I want to take that criticism? Is that relevant to me? Does that make sense? Do I want to do something with it? Or do I just disagree? Like, I actually think that the color being the color of dirt is really important because it creates a contrast to the sky, which is part of what I'm trying to say. Maybe I'm not communicating it effectively, but I hear your criticism and I can now do something with that. And it's the same thing in the workplace, right? When we're giving feedback to our colleagues, if we just say, this is bad, or this didn't work, or this was wrong, then we're not actually helping them grow. We're just creating a little chip that feels yucky. Or we're just kind of like chipping away at our relationship. We're you know, dropping little drops of acid that just don't feel comfortable. And they don't know what to do with that information. So instead, we have to approach it by thinking, okay, here's what isn't working for me. Now, how do I communicate that to them in a way that, one, opens them up to listening, 
because we all have that defense mechanism. So as soon as someone says something negative to us, we tend to be like shut down and go into defensive mode. So how do I open them up to a way that they can hear what I'm going to say? And then secondly, what can I say to them that they can be, they can use it. They can then make a change in their behavior, in their work product. They can do better in the future. Because if we're not helping them do better in the future, sometimes it actually is better to just not say anything at all. So when we are looking at meetings in our workplace, do we want to engage the group that we're working with to get input? How do you approach this so that it is constructive and productive for everyone? Well, so let's start at the like meta level and say, when you want to change your meetings, you can do it by yourself as the meeting leader. And there's wonderful things that you can do. And we can talk about some of those coming up around small changes that can have a really big impact in reshaping your meetings. But you could also pull back a layer and say, I'm going to talk with my colleagues, with my team members about their experience in meetings. And we're going to collectively have a meeting about our meetings. And so we're going to start by gathering together, virtually or in person, whatever works in your space and at the time of you're doing this and what's safe and all that good stuff. And we're going to ask ourselves a couple of questions. And we're going to, it's a pretty typical model of what's working. What is working in our meetings right now? What do people really enjoy? What do they find useful? Are there any practices that we have that feel like these are good things that we want to keep doing as we redesign our meetings going forward? What are the things that are not working? What are the problems that we're experiencing? What are the challenges or the frustrations that are coming up for people? What are the things that we need to question and revisit? And then what ideas do we have for how to solve those problems or new ways that we could try things that are maybe just new that you've seen in other organizations that you read about or that you heard about on a podcast that we want to consider bringing into our meetings? And the premise for that conversation is, look, we know that meetings are frustrating. We know that that people don't want to spend more time on Zoom. And we have all of these other tools that we could use besides meetings for how we collaborate. So let's take a pause and let's actually have a conversation about our meetings and what kinds of meetings we have we have and what kind of meetings we need to have and how we want to have those meetings so that we can have the right meetings with the right kind of structure, the right kind of planning. And at the end of the day, those meetings can be really engaging, really enjoyable, efficient, feel like they moved our work forward. And we can stop all feeling frustrated that our calendars are full all day long with meetings that nobody really wants to go to. That feels as it would produce a situation where we've collaborated. So there should be that sense of satisfaction going forward. Yes. And we start to create shared ownership. When you ask everyone on your team to help think about your meetings and what's working and what's not and what you can do differently, you're starting to engage them to say, it's not just all on me as your team leader. It's not just on me as the meeting leader to make sure that we have good meetings. It's actually on all of us. So we can reshape our meetings and we can create shared norms. We can create new practices. We can have new agreements that we all now need to uphold. And I'll, I'll give you an example of one. So a lot of teams that I work with, we talk about meeting pre-work. What can people do to prepare for the meeting? And I always get this same pushback from the meeting leader, which is, well, if I ask my team members to read something or answer some questions or whatever before the meeting, inevitably people show up and they haven't done it. 
And so then we just have to like go over the material in the meeting and like catch everybody up. And then we waste, you know, 15 minutes of our half an hour just getting people up to speed because they didn't do the pre-work ahead of time. So that's an example where it's not just about the meeting leader. It's actually about the participants. The participants are the ones who are holding that meeting back from being really productive. So getting your whole team together to say, yeah, we actually want to do pre-work so that when we get together for half an hour, we can use that time effectively. We don't need to have a presentation during that, that 30 minutes. We can actually use it all for discussion, for engagement. So yeah, we are all going to agree that when pre-work is sent, we are going to do it and walk into the meeting having completed whatever reading, whatever listening, whatever activity we're asked to do, we're going to have it done so we can use our time together effectively. And now as a meeting leader, you have commitment from your team. So if people show up and they haven't done the pre-work, you actually have a way to hold them accountable. You can have a conversation with them. Depending on who it is and in what context, you probably don't want to do it right then and there. Usually you want to do it in a separate meeting afterwards where you can, you know, pull them aside and say, hey, you know, I know you didn't get to the pre-work today for this meeting. What's going on? You know, what's happening? And then you'll get a chance to hear, oh, my gosh, I was so busy. I had too much on my plate. I didn't get to it. I'm so sorry. It will never happen again. Or you'll hear, oh, my gosh, I totally forgot. Uh, Like, I just, it fell off my to-do list. And then you can have a conversation around, you know, managing tasks and not forgetting things and you go into your whole managerial stuff, right? Or you hear someone say, like, oh, I just, you know, it didn't seem important. And that's a different conversation you get to have with them. But you can have an accountability conversation when somebody knows that this is expected of them. If you have a really loose culture where, like, people just sometimes they do pre-work, sometimes they don't, there's no consequences, we just go over the meeting, why would anybody want to do anything they didn't have to do like that? We're all so busy. So getting your team to buy into whatever practices creates accountability and shared ownership so that everyone is contributing to creating effective meeting, not just you as the meeting leader. And so this is really respecting everyone's time. And I can see how having that preparation done ahead of time, it saves the larger meeting. You can limit that time. You can really be just much more efficient. Exactly. One of the things that frustrates me most about meetings is when someone presents information. It's actually one of the reasons we say you should not have a meeting. You should not have meetings to present information. If there's information that needs to be presented, it can be done ahead of time. And there are a couple different modes to do that. One is to write something out, to have a written memo, to have a document, you know, something that's in writing for people to read. Now, a lot of people don't enjoy writing. They find it very time-consuming, or they feel like it loses out on a lot of the context, the emotions, the tone of voice, all the other stuff that comes when you're presenting. So if writing a document doesn't work for you, don't write a document. You can also record a message. You could record a voice message talking through an idea and just speaking it out and send that message to everyone to listen to ahead of time. Again, for some people, that's easy and that works really well and is super efficient. For other people, they're like, oh, but I need people to like look at the graphs or the charts or like the bullet points. And like, I don't want to just have an audio message because then people will listen to it while they're washing dishes and they won't really hear it. Okay, so record a video message. Do a screen capture and record yourself speaking and giving that same presentation that you would give in the meeting, but just doing it to yourself so that you can have a recording that you can now share this 15-minute video with everyone. 
and they can watch that video on their own time so that when you get into the meeting, the time you have together, it's so precious. It's so hard to get on people's schedules. So why would you waste it giving a presentation? Instead, send them the video, let people watch it when they have their time, and then when you come together, now you have a solid 30 minutes or hour or whatever time you have to dig right into the content, to get right into the rich discussion, to use your time together, to bounce those ideas, to challenge each other, to come to alignment, make decisions. And one other thing I'll say about this is when you think about the amount of time we have together, a 30-minute meeting really only is 20 minutes of productive conversation. The first five minutes is people getting into the room, which is both virtually, physically getting your body into the space and also repotting people in the conversation they're about to have. Because we're running from a million tasks and meeting to meeting, and we've got our kids running around in the background now, and we got to take bio breaks and all their stuff. When you walk into a room, I know, at least for myself, I've had times where I'm like, who am I meeting with? What is this meeting about? Like, where are we in the world right now? So you need to start your meeting by just repotting people. This is why we're here. This is what we're trying to accomplish today. This is what our agenda is. That's going to take five minutes between the physically getting into the room and the repotting. Then at the end, your last five minutes needs to be a recap. You can't just talk right up until the last second and have people running off saying, oh, I have another meeting to get to. I'll, you know, just fill me later. We don't want to end on that kind of unsatisfying, incomplete note. We need to wrap up our conversation when we have five minutes to go so that we can close our meeting, have clarity on what the next steps are, have agreement on exactly what the decisions were that were made. No more of this, like, sounds like we decided something. No, state the decision so it can be in writing in your minutes and use that time to kind of bring closure to the meeting. So if our first five minutes are that welcome, that set up and getting in, and the last five minutes are the closure, the wrap up, the next step, that means in a 30-minute meeting, you get 20 minutes of a real talk time. That is not that much. And if you have six people or seven people in that meeting, you're talking about three, four, five minutes a person at most to get their brain share. Now, if you add another 10 minutes of presentation, you're talking about a 10-minute conversation. That's just not enough time. And the answer is not, oh, well, let's just make it an hour-long meeting. Nobody wants that. Nobody wants to just keep expanding our meetings. What we need to do is use that time to get our efficient and use the time before the meeting to get people prepared, get them the information they need, get them the context, the background, get them to start percolating on the thinking so that when they get into the meeting, it's not the first time they're hearing it. They're ready to jump in. This is so incredible. I can't imagine anyone feeling uh, frustrated if they follow this pattern, this way of moving forward. And your book, the title Momentum, I think captures the essence of being so strategic and being able to really plan this in such a way that it's going to be so effective and efficient for each and every person. Yeah, we called the book Momentum because we said meetings should move work forward. Meetings should be building momentum in your organization. They should be helping you accelerate the work that you're doing, not slowing you down and creating bureaucracy, which is what most of us experience. So when you apply some of these very basic principles, you suddenly transform your meetings, and that actually transforms the culture of your organization. One of my favorite quotes is around meetings being a microcosm of our entire work experience. 
right? Meetings are where you get to see power dynamics. Meetings are where you make decisions. Meetings are where you can see company culture showing up. They really are a place that kind of reflects the overall work experience. So if we can make our meetings effective, if we can make our meetings a place where people come and feel good, they love engaging with their colleagues, they feel like their ideas are heard and they are respected, they feel like they can engage in constructive debates and be part of decisions and do all of that good stuff with their colleagues, then that translates, that trickles out into the overall work experience. So if we can affect our meetings, we can really affect the entire experience of work. And I've read also in the comments about you and about your organization is that building organizational cultures are important where people do thrive. So that's a big part of it, too, that it's, um, it yes, there's that energy about it, that momentum, again, of moving forward. Yeah, I mean, we spend so much of our time in a work context, right? The average person just spends, I can't remember if it's like a third of your life at work, right? Like, this is a huge part of how we spend our time and how we spend our days and how we spend our lives. So why wouldn't we want work to be a place where we can be our best selves, where we grow and we help support each other and we can bring our best and our full selves where we're appreciated for who we are. Like that just seems so obvious to me that of course we want work to be engaging. We want work to be a place where people can thrive, not a place where people feel like they are diminished or they're withering or they're disrespected or they have to code switch or they can't be themselves right? Like that's, who wants that? Nobody wants that. So if we can all agree that work is a place for human flourishing, then we can start to make changes. And I personally think, and I've seen in my clients that one of the easiest places to start is by impacting your meetings. When you start to change your meetings, again, you can start to change your culture. Just so perfect. So an easy way to really get on board here and and get this foundation is certainly with having a copy of the book and having this available to all your team. Now, all of this information uh, about purchasing the book, having it available, the content can be found at your website. So let's share that, Mamie. Sure. It is meteor.com. M-E-E-T-E-O-R.com. So Meteor with Meetings, M-E-E-T. And our slogan is Meetings with Impact. And at the website, we can find that there are podcasts. And so here this kind of ties in well with the idea of what you were sharing with us about uh, getting these important parts of meetings presented in a video or in an audio format, podcasts are going to help us to really focus in on an area and have that presentation um, in in this really efficient way as well. Absolutely. And you can find all kinds of stuff on our media website. We have an online resource center where we have a bunch of different interviews that I've done, webinars that I've given, um, different presentations. So you can go, it's free to access and you can get all kinds of different meeting resources. We have a blog that also has a bunch of different articles on leading effective meetings. And we have the book, of course. 
and we also run live trainings and um, online trainings and all those those good things to help your organization. But one of the things that we've heard from a lot of our clients is they've read our book and they are like, this is great, but I can't get everybody in my organization to read this book, even though they should. So this is where things like podcasts, articles, um, webinars can be really helpful because you can assign or you can ask or invite your colleagues to read a blog article or to watch a 30-minute presentation or to listen to a 20-minute podcast. And that will start to get them engaged and saying, oh, maybe this person is on to something. Maybe there is some changes we can make to our meetings that that could really be impactful and and wouldn't be a, a huge investment of our time or resources. So those kinds of different articles, videos, et cetera, those are great for sharing. Of course, if you can get everyone to do a book, we suggest having a book group. We have a a resource center for anyone who has purchased the book where you get additional resources that come with a purchase. So you can create a book group. You can do that with your team or with other managers or other leaders in your organization. So there's tons of good stuff on the website that I, I highly recommend. Actually, that part of having a book group uh, to do this as a team would feels like a very constructive way to get everyone on board by having the book uh, a conversation, um, allotting a certain amount of time, work time, I think in the end would be very productive work time. I agree. And from the, the few who have told us that they have done it, we've heard very good things that it really gives you some accountability to other people as well. So when you have a series of managers who are all saying, we're going to read this together, and now you're, you're holding each other accountable to, to actually doing the reading, because of course, right, it all all gets lost in the, in the shuffle and we're so busy. But now you have a reason, oh, we're meeting on Tuesday to talk about chapter one, I got to get that read. And you also have people who can now share with you and create a little learning community. So, oh, I tried what I learned in chapter one, and this is what happened. It worked really well, or I got stuck here. Anybody have any advice? And you can start to support each other and share learnings and keep that momentum going, right? Going back there (laughs) to the title of the book. You can keep that momentum going because you're now creating a little community for yourself to start to create the change. And it's such an it feels like such an effective way of being able to take what is more general, more theory, and then have the discussion where you bring it down into the focus of who you are and what this company is and what our projects are. Exactly. The book is really written to be a how-to manual. We explain concepts and then we make it as practical as possible with clear next steps so that you can go out and try these things in your organization. And Some of the practices we talk about, you may already do, and that's great. You can feel really good that you've already got some of these things in place. And some of the things you might be like, oh, this is perfect. We totally want to do this and we want to try it. And some things you might say, hmm, I don't think that's going to fly here. Like, that's just not our style. Or I can't imagine my boss agreeing to this. And that's okay, too. You don't have to do everything. It's, It's more important that you be conscious of what the options are and you make choices about how you want to run your meetings and how you want to be intentional about them, instead of letting them just kind of spin out of control, which is what often happens. We send the calendar invite, maybe we think for a few seconds in our head what this meeting is going to be about, and then we just show up and do it. That kind of free-for-all is not effective. So even if you read the book and you decide there's only a handful of things that are really going to work for you, those handful of things are worth it. Oh, absolutely. 
and as we move forward, uh, one thing I think that we've perhaps discovered during this uh, pandemic is that it's been a time of really reforming, rethinking, reshaping. And this is a good time to get this kind of concrete foundation beneath us to be able to really creatively and most efficiently uh, move forward into our better future. Yeah, there's great research that shows that times of disruption are great times to reflect and create new ways of working. So, you know, if you imagine that a number of years ago, people were thinking about using online tools and technology and companies would have to go through huge change processes to get people on board with using tech tools. And it was it felt like a really slow slog. And then with the pandemic, it was like overnight. People figured out how to use Zoom. Companies started using chat tools. I mean, it was just like really, really quickly we figured it out because there was a disruptive moment. So as we're going into this next phase, if we think about this again as a little bit of a disruptive moment, right, we're entering a new phase of work, how can we leverage that to create new ways of working that are going to be more effective, more efficient, more engaging, more enjoyable, Instead of just letting it happen over that slow, long kind of transition, we can actually be really intentional in using this moment as a time of change to create the kinds of practices, to create the kinds of tools and approaches that we want to have in place so we can have our meetings be all those wonderful things I just said. Yes. Well, you are certainly such an inspiration, Mamie Camfer Stewart. I just so appreciate who you are, what you do, your enthusiasm, and just having this all thought out and ready for us to just use and move forward together. So thank you so much for all your knowledge and for spending time with us this morning. Oh, it was my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me today. You're so welcome.